Letter 31 of Clarissa or the History of a Young Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bob Gillam, Betty's Bledrus, Lampeter, Wales. Clarissa Harlowe by Samuel Richardson. Letter 31. Mr. Lovelace to John Belford, Esquire, Monday, March the 13th. Editor's Note These gentlemen affected what they called the Roman style, to wit, the thee and the thou in their letters, and it was an agreed rule with them to take in good part whatever freedoms they treated each other with, if in the passages were written in that style. In vain dost thou and thy compeers press me to go to town, while I am in such an uncertainty as I am at present with this proud beauty. All the ground I have hitherto gained with her is entirely owing to her concern for the safety of people whom I have reason to hate. Write, then, thou biddest me, if I will not come. That, indeed, I can do, and as well without a subject as with one and what follows shall be a proof of it. The lady's malevolent brother has now, as I told thee at M. Hall, introduced another man, the most unpromising in his person and qualities, the most formidable in his offers that has yet appeared. This man has by his proposals captivated every soul of the Harlows. Soul, did I say? There is not a soul among them but my charmers, and she, withstanding them all, is actually confined and otherwise maltreated by a father the most gloomy and positive, at the instigation of a brother the most arrogant and selfish. But thou knowest their characters, and I will not therefore sully my paper with them. But is it not a confounded thing to be in love with one who is the daughter, the sister, the niece of a family I must eternally despise, and, the devil of it, that love increasing with her. What shall I call it? Tis not scorn, tis not pride, tis not the insolence of an adored beauty, but tis to virtue, it seems, that my difficulties are owing, and I pay for not being a sly sinner, an hypocrite, and for being regardless of my reputation, for permitting slander to open its mouth against me. But is it necessary for such a one as I, who has been used to carry all before me upon my own terms, I who never inspired a fear that had not a discernibly predominant mixture of love in it, to be a hypocrite? Well, says the poet, he who seems virtuous does but act a part, and shows not his own nature, but his art. Well, but it seems I must practice for this art, if it would succeed with this truly admirable creature. But why practice for it? Cannot I, indeed, reform? I have but one vice, have I, Jack. Thou knowest my heart, if any man living does, and as far as I know it thyself, thou knowest it. But tis a cursed deceiver, for it is many a time imposed upon its master. Master, did I say? that I am not now, nor have I been from the moment I beheld this angel of a woman. 
prepared indeed as I was by her character before I saw her, for what a mind must be which, though not virtuous itself, admires not virtue in another. My visit to Arabella, owing to mistake of the sister, into which, as thou hast heard me, I was led by the blundering, blundering uncle, who was to introduce me, but lately come from abroad, to the divinity, as I thought, but instead of her carried me to a mere mortal. And much difficulty had I, so fond and forward, my lady, to get off without forfeiting all with a family I intended should give me a goddess. I have boasted that I was once in love before, and indeed I thought I was. It was in my early manhood, with that quality jilt whose infidelity I have vowed to revenge upon as many of the sex as shall come into my power. I believe, in different climes, I have already sacrificed an hecatomb to my nemesis, in pursuance of this vow. But upon recollecting what I was then, and comparing it with what I find myself now, I cannot say that I was ever in love before. What was it then, thou ask me, since the disappointment had such effects upon me, when I found myself jilted, that I was hardly kept in my senses? Why, I'll grant thee what, as near as I can remember, for it was a great while ago, it was, egad, Jack. I can hardly tell what it was, but a vehement aspiration after novelty, I think. Those confounded poets with their terrenely celestial descriptions did as much with me as the lady. They fired my imagination, and set me upon a desire to become a goddess-maker. I must needs try my new-fledged pinions in a sonnet, elegy, and madrigal. I must have a Cynthia, a Stella, a Saccharissa, as well as the best of them. Darts and flames and the devil knows what I must give to my Cupid. I must create time. I have been at a loss for a subject. When my new created goddess has been kinder, than it is proper for my plaintive sonnet that she should be. Then I found I had a vanity of another sort in my passion. I found myself pretty well received among the women in general, and I thought it a pretty ladylike tyranny. I was then very young and very vain, to single out some one of the sex, to make half a score jealous. And I can tell thee it had its effect, for many an eye have made to sparkle with rival indigation, many a cheek glow, and even many a fan have I caused to be snapped at a sister beauty, accompanied with a reflection, perhaps, at being seen alone with a wild young fellow, who could not be in private with both at once. In short, Jack, it was more pride than love, as I now find it, that put me upon making such a confounded rout about losing that noble varletess. I thought she loved me at least as well as I believed I loved her. Nay, I had the vanity to suppose she could not help it. My friends were pleased with my choice. They wanted me to be shackled, for early did they doubt my morals as to the sex. They saw that the dancing, the singing, the musical ladies were all fond of my company. For who, I am in a humour to be vain, I think, for who danced, who sung, who touched the string, whatever the instrument, 
with a better grace than thy friend. I have no notion of playing the hypocrite so egregiously as to pretend to be blind to qualifications which every one sees and acknowledges. Such praise-begetting hypocrisy, such affectedly disclaimed attributes, such contemptible praise-traps. But yet shall my vanity extend only to personals, such as the gracefulness of dress, my debonair and my assurance, self-taught, self-acquired, these, for my part, I value not myself upon them. Thou wilt say I have no cause, perhaps not, but if I had anything valuable as to intellectuals, those are not my own, and to be proud of what a man is answerable for the abuse of, and has no merit to the right use of, is to strut like the jay in borrowed plumage. But to return to my fair jilt, I could not bear that a woman who was the first that had bound me in silken fetters, they were not iron ones like those I now wear, should prefer a coronet to me, and when the bird was flown, I set more value upon it than when I had it safe in my cage and could visit it when I pleased. But now am I indeed in love. I can think of nothing, of nobody, but the divine Clarissa Harlowe. Harlowe, how that hated word sticks in my throat, but I shall give her for it the name of love. Clarissa, oh, there's music in the name, that softening me to infant tenderness makes my heart spring like the first leaps of life. But couldst thou have believed that I, who think it possible for me to favour as much as I can be favoured, that I, who for this charming creature, think of forgoing the life of honour for the life of shackles, could adapt these over-tender lines of Otway? I checked myself, and leaving the first three lines to the following of Dryden to the family of Winers, find the workings of the passion in my stormy soul better expressed by the three last. Love various minds does variously inspire, he stirs in gentle's nature's gentle fires, like that of incense on the altar laid. But raging flames tempestuous souls invade, a fire which every windy passion blows, with pride it mounts, and with revenge it glows. And with revenge it shall glow. For dost thou think that if it were not from the hope that this stupid family are all combined to do my work for me, I would bear their insults? Is it possible to imagine that I would be braved as I am braved, threatened as I am threatened, by those who are afraid to see me, and by this brutal brother, too, to whom I gave a life, a life indeed not worth my taking, had I not a greater pride in knowing that by means of his very spy upon me I am playing him off as I please, cooling or inflaming his violent passions as may best suit my purposes, permitting so much to be revealed of my life and actions and intentions, as may give him such a confidence in his double-faced agent, as shall enable me to dance his employer upon my own wires. This it is that makes my pride mount above my resentment, by this engine, whose springs I am continually oiling, I play them all off. The busy old tarpaulin uncle, I make but an ambassador to Queen Arabella Howe, to engage her, 
for example, sake to her princessly daughter, to join in their cause, and to assert an authority they are resolved, right or wrong, or I could do nothing, to maintain. But what my motive dost thou ask? No less than this, that my beloved shall find no protection out of my family, for if I know hers, fly she must, or have the man she hates. This, therefore, if I take my measures right, and my familiar fail me not, will secure her mine, in spite of them all. Inflexible hearts, mine without condition, without reformation promises, without the necessity of a siege of years, perhaps, am to be even then, after wearing the guise of merit-loving hypocrisy, at an uncertainty, upon a probation unapproved of. Then shall I have all the rascals and rascalesses of the family come creeping to me, I prescribing to them, and bringing that sordidly imperious brother to kneel at the footstep of my throne. All my fear arises from the little hold I have in the heart of this charming frost-piece, such a constant glow upon her lovely features, eyes so sparkling, limbs so divinely terms, health so florid, youth so blooming, air so animated, to have a heart so impenetrable, and I, the hitherto successful Lovelace, the addresser, how can it be? Yet there are people, and I have talked with some of them, who remember that she was born. Her nurse Norton boasts of her maternal offices in her earliest infancy, and in her education gradatim. So there is full proof that she came not from above all at once an angel. How, then, can she be so impenetrable? But here's her mistake, nor will she be cured of it. She takes the man she calls her father, her mother had been faultless had she not been her father's wife, she takes the men she calls her uncles, the fellow she calls her brother, and the poor contemptible she calls her sister, to be her father, to be her uncles, her brother, her sister, and that she owes to them, some of them, reverence, to others, respect. Let them treat her ever so cruelly, sordid ties, mere cradle prejudices. For had they not imposed upon her, by nature, when she was in a perverse humour, or could she have chosen her relations, would any of these been among them? How my heart rises at her preference of them to me, when she is convinced of their injustice to me, convinced that the alliance would do honour to them all, herself excepted, whom every one owes honour, and from whom the most princely family might receive it. But how much more will my heart rise with indignation against her, if I find she hesitates, but one moment, however persecuted, about preferring me to the man she avowedly hates. But she cannot surely be so mean as to purchase her peace with them at so dear a rate. She cannot give a sanction to projects formed in malice, and founded in a selfishness, and that at her own expense, which she has spirit enough to despise in others, and ought to disavow, that we may not think her a Harlow. By this incoherent ramble thou wilt gather that I am not likely to come up in haste. 
since I must endeavour first to obtain some assurance from the beloved of my soul that I shall not be sacrificed to such a wretch as Soames. Woe be to the fair one, if ever she be driven into my power, for I despair of a voluntary impulse in my favour, and I find a difficulty in obtaining this security. That her indifference to me is not owing to superior liking she has for any other, is what rivets my chains. But take care, fair one, take care, O thou most exalted of female minds, and loveliest of persons, how thou debasest thyself by encouraging such a competition as thy sordid relations have set on foot in mere malice to me. Thou wilt say I rave, and so I do. Perdition, catch my soul, but I do love her. Else could I hear the perpetual revilings of her implacable family? Else could I creep about, not her proud father's house, but his paddock and garden walls? Yet, a quarter of a mile distance between us, not hoping to behold the least glimpse of her shadow, else should I think myself repaid, amply repaid, if the fourth, fifth, or sixth midnight stroll through unfrequented paths and over briery enclosures affords me a few cold lines, the even expected purport only to let me know that she values the most worthless person of her very worthless family more than she values me, and that she would not write at all but to induce me to bear insults which unman me to bear. My lodging in the intermediate way at a wretched alehouse, disguised like an inmate of it, accommodations equally vile as those I met with in my most Westphalian journey. Tis well that the necessity of all this arise not from scorn and tyranny but is first opposed upon herself. But was ever hero in romance, fighting with giants and dragons expected, accepted, called upon to harder trials? Fortune and family and reversionary grandeur upon my side, such a wretched fellow, my competitor, must I not be deplorably in love? that can go through these difficulties, encounter these contempts? By my soul, I am half ashamed of myself, I, who am perjured too, by priority of obligation, if I am faithful to any woman in the world. And yet why say I, I am half ashamed? Is it not a glory to love her, who every one who sees her, either loves, or reveres, or both? Dryden says, the cause of love can never be assigned, tis in no face but in the lover's mind. And Cowley thus addresses beauty as a mere imaginary. Beauty, thou wild fantastic ape, who dost in every country change thy shape, here black, there brown, here tawny, and there white, thou flatterer who compliest with every sight, who hast no certain what nor where. But both these, had they been her contemporaries, and known her, would have confessed themselves mistaken, and taking together person, mind, and behaviour, would have acknowledged the justice of the universal voice in her favour. 
Full many a lady I vied with best regard, and many a time the harmony of their tongues hath into bondage brought my too diligent ear, for several virtues have I liked several women, never any with so full a soul, but some defect in her did quarrel with the noblest grace she owed, but put it to the foil. But she, O oh see, she, so perfect and so peerless is created of every creature's best. Shakespeare Thou art curious to know if I have not started a new game. If it be possible for so universal lover to be confined so long to one object, thou knowest nothing of this charming creature that thou canst put such questions to me, or thinkest thou knowest me better than thou dost. All that's excellent in her sex is this lady. Until matrimonial or equal intimacies, I have found her less than angel. It is impossible to think of any other. Then there are so many stimulatives to such a spirit as mine in this affair besides love, such a field of stratagem and contrivance, which thou knowest to be the delight of my heart. Then the rewarding end of all, to carry off such a girl as this, in spite of all her watchful and implacable friends, and in spite of a prudence and reserve I have never met with in any of the sex. What a triumph! What a triumph over the whole sex! And then such a revenge to gratify, which is only at present politically reined in, eventually to break forth with greater fury. Is it possible, thinkest thou, that there can be room for a thought that is not of her and devoted to her? By the devices I have this moment received, I have reason to think that I shall have occasion for thee here. Hold thyself in readiness to come down upon the first summons. Let Belton, Mowbray, and Tourville likewise prepare themselves. I have a great mind to contrive a method to send James Harlowe to travel for improvement. Never was there a booby squire that more wanted it. Contrive it, did I say? I have already contrived it. Could I but put it in execution, without being suspected to have a hand in it? I am resolved upon it. If I have not his sister, I will have him. But be this as it may, there is a present likeliness of room for glorious mischief. A confederacy had been for some time formed against me, but the uncle and the nephew are now to be double-servanted, single-servanted they were before, and those servants are to be double-armed when they attend their masters abroad. This indicates their resolute enmity to me, and as resolute favour to Soames. The reinforced orders for this hostile apparatus are owing, it seems, to a visit I made yesterday to their church, a good place, I thought, to begin a reconciliation in, supposing the heads of the family to be Christians, and they were met something by their prayers. My hopes were to have an invitation, or at least to gain a pretence, to accompany home the gloomy squire, and to get an opportunity to see my goddess. For I believed they durst not but be civil to me, at least. But they were filled with terror, it seems, at my entrance, a terror they could not get over. I saw it indeed in their countenances, and that they all expected something extraordinary to follow, and so it should have done, had I been more sure than I am of their daughter's favour. 
yet not a hair on their stupid heads do I intend to hurt. You shall have all your directions in writing, if there be occasion. But after all, I dare say there will be no need but to show your faces in my company. Such faces never could four men show. Mowbray's so fierce and so fighting, Belton's so pert and so pimply, Tourville's so fair and so foppish, thine so rough and so resolute, and I your leader. What hearts, although meditating hostility, must those be which we shall not appall? Each man occasionally attended by a servant or two, long ago chosen for qualities resembling those of his master. Thus, Jack, as thou desirest, have I written, written upon something, upon nothing, upon revenge which I love, upon love which I heartily hate, because tis my master, upon the devil knows what besides, for looking back I am amazed at the length of it. Thou mayest read it, I would not for a king's ransom. But so as I do but write, thou sayest thou wilt be pleased. Be pleased, then, I command thee to be pleased, if not for the writer's or the written's sake, for thy word's sake, and so in the royal style, for am I not likely to be thy king and thy emperor in the great affair before us? I bid thee very heartily farewell. End of letter 31